1: Coulter, let's go around the Big Sky a little bit, shall we, with SkylineSportsMT.com. And two openings are now available in the Big Sky Conference when it comes to head coaching coaching vacancies of football teams. Ernest Collins was fired at Northern Colorado, and Tim Walsh, quote-unquote, retired, eh, is no longer the head coach at Cal Poly.
0: We'll give Tim Walsh the, the credit of, of and the grace of just saying he retired because he yep. has been a head coach for 29 years. And Tim Walsh has a very interesting legacy because Tim Walsh won 176 games in his coaching career. And Tim Walsh was good and sometimes very good at his two Big Sky Conference stops. Uh, at Portland State, Tim Walsh took the Vikings from a Division II school To a into the Big Sky, they joined. He was there from 1993 through 2006, Mm -hmm. and Portland State joined the Big Sky in 1996. And um, he finished second in the league with Portland State on multiple, multiple occasions. And it was just the fact was that the Big Sky Conference was a one-bid league for a really long time. And sometimes it was a two-bid league when the second team was Eastern Washington or Montana State, but almost never Portland State. But Tim Walsh finished second at Portland State four times, finished third four more times. So they were very competitive in the Big Sky Conference. Won seven or eight games, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight times at Portland State. But they just made the playoffs the one year in 2000. But his time at Portland State was very good. He he was good there. And then he went to... When Rich Ellerson left Cal Poly to go to Army, Tim Walsh followed him to be the offensive coordinator at Army for two years, which is where he learned the triple option from Rich Ellerson and then went back to Cal Poly to essentially take over for Rich Ellerson. There was just that two-year gap where he wasn't there. But at Cal Poly, he led Cal Poly to the Great West title their last year in that league before that league was absorbed into the Big Sky and then led the, the Mustangs to a share of the Big Sky Conference Championship their first year in the league. They made it to the playoffs three times, uh, over the last um, nine years. And so, you know, we always talk about you have to weigh success based on resources and level of expectation more than anything when it comes to small school college athletics. And all things considered, I mean, Tim Walsh finishes his career at Cal Poly just one game above 500. But considering that they waited to the playoffs three times in nine years, given their academic standards, The fact that they're an outlier in the big sky that is not in the league in any other sport besides football, he did a really good job. And the thing I'll say about Tim Walsh is he is a very brash, tough, no-nonsense, and honest guy. I know that there's a lot of people in the league that he rubbed the wrong way, and there's a lot of people in the league that he rubbed the right way. And I love Tim Walsh. I... I've interviewed Tim Walsh dozens of times for all sorts of different perspectives on all sorts of different stories, and he's been nothing but gracious to me. He's my type of coach. The guy doesn't even wear a headset on the sidelines. Mm-hmm. He's so confident in the physical element of football, I don't need to know what's going on. I just want to know what's going on with my players. I want to know what's going on at the point of attack, and yeah. that's. I love Tim Walsh for that.
1: I just want to be clear, too. If my... my sort of utterances at the front of this was in no means uh, attempting to be degrading or whatever to Tim Walsh. I'm just not clear that the retirement was... Well, a lot of times when, your contract expires like his did and yeah. they, they choose not to renew it, but instead of
0: saying, we're not going to renew your contract or you're fired, Tim Walsh just says, okay, my contract's not getting renewed, I'm
1: retired. That That's what I'm saying, though, is that the, the re- retirement is viewed as a choice and it was a choice to say that, but also... If he had not retired, it's not clear that he would have been back anyways. That's all I'm saying. But within the context of that, everything you said is true. And and as I mean, as you said, every every time that we've had a chance in person over the phone to to talk with uh, Tim Wall, she's been uh, uh, great to deal with, and uh, you know, and and insightful, you know. And and uh, and clear on things, which is uh, is very good. And also, you know, it probably is. Maybe it is time. You know, he's been there, like you said, nine seasons at Cal Poly. Uh, you go through the Joe Pro. You know, it's sort of like uh, uh, who was the head coach at Pittsburgh? Bill Cower, right? Hmm? They win a, a, a Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. I think Super Bowl forty-two or whatever it was. And it's Jerome Bettis, you know, he rides out on top and retires the whole year, and, and it's such a high watermark for the program. And then, you know, Bill Cowher comes back one more year to try and, you know, you know, you want to come back the year after if you won the Super Bowl and so forth. But I think clearly kind of his heart was, was pretty much done after that Super Bowl win, and the team had a lot of changeover and everything. Joe Prothrow was one of the great players to ever come through the Big Sky Conference. And... Maybe the best, certainly one of the best to ever play for Cal Poly, uh, especially in that critical spot as a fullback but who just does nothing but carry the ball in a triple-option offense. And, uh, you know, now you have a very young team, and it's a little bit of a rebuild, and there's still some talent there. And they they, they lost a lot of games really close this year and just couldn't quite get over the hump. Uh, but, you know, Tim Walsh, like you said, he's a, a, a longtime veteran of this sport and of the college uh, coaching profession. And, uh, you know, maybe it's, it's, you know, time to take a – take a step back for a minute and see what you want to do and see what's next and, and, and what's going on. So we wish him the best, certainly. And then also... Uh, yeah, one more oh, yeah, note on, on Tim Walsh.
0: He Between his time at Portland State when he coached guys like Ryan Fuqua, who's still among the all-time rushers in the history of the Big Sky Conference, um, the Wood kid, his, his first name is escaping me right now, but their great quarterback that they had when they went to the playoffs who then became his offensive coordinator at Cal Poly. And then... Chris Brown, Joe Prothrow, Dan O'Graves—they've had some really, 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 really good players. Really memorable players, guys that no one around the league will ever forget. I mean, Nick Zoubnar might be one of the best. I mean, Nick Zubnar was is still in the NFL. He was a senior on that 2012, junior, excuse me, on that 2012 league championship team. A senior the very next year, but he's still in the league. He still plays for the San Diego Chargers. He, I mean, uh, amongst the linebackers from the big sky in the last handful of years, he might be the absolute best. He just was only in the league for a year or two, and that's why he didn't get the the same recognition. But uh, transitioning into the Northern Colorado job, well, first of all, last point on Cal Poly. On one hand, San Luis Obispo is one of the great towns in the, in the world. I mean, if you've never been there, it is awesome. It is not a giant California metropolis. It's more of a small town with a college town vibe that also happens to be on the beach with the mountains on the other side, wine country to the north, beer country to the south. I mean, it's it's glorious.
1: And, and one of the absolute top-shelf academic institutions anywhere.
0: One of the best engineering schools in the world. One of the best polytechnic of all sorts schools on planet Earth. Uh... Epically beautiful campus. So on all that, it, it's it's a great place. They have, uh, we were talking about this last night. The academies run the option because so, the academies have weight limits for being able to be in the Air Force or in the Navy. You can't be 300 pounds and be in the Navy. Right. You can't be 300 pounds and be in the Air Force. So they have to have lighter guys. So, therefore, they run the option so that they can do all the cut blocking stuff. That makes sense. And Cal Poly has always used that similar model. We can't recruit as many guys, so we got to run the option. I just don't know if that's the case anymore in modern, like you were saying last night. If you got a six foot eight, 400-pound guy who's got a 4.0 and wants to be an engineer, why can't you recruit that guy? Sure. Just recruit him. Stanford does. Exactly. But, on the other hand, the triple option at Cal Poly is not just the 11 seasons under Tim Walsh. This goes all the way back to Rich Ellerson. They've been running the triple option for close to 25 years. So how do you transition out of it? Because basically, if you hire somebody that wants to transition out of it, you absolutely have to reconcile yourself with being absolutely terrible. It's going to be bad. For years. Bad. For, yeah. for several years. Yeah.
1: It, you're, you're, you're right. It's, it, is, it is.
0: But on the other side, maybe you can just go recruit a really smart, gunslinging quarterback and be like, hey, you want to come be a four-year starter? It's going to be a rebuild, but you're going to throw the ball a bunch And just get a hotshot California kid who's smart, which, I mean, that's not like a rare thing, right? I mean, there's plenty, I'm sure. Maybe not. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. But I think that there's plenty of guys out there that have the academic prowess to get into
1: Cal Poly who also can play football at the FCS level. Well, and, and the academics are such that the standard's so high, the academic side of it will pull from a wider range nationally, you know, or at least regionally than the football side of it would for a lot of these places.
0: so ensure your company's network is online all the
1: time for more information visit goblackfoot.com slash business that's goblackfoot.com slash business and you can click the link right here in the old podcast we've made it so very easy for you go visit and find out how to keep your business or the business of people you know secure online with blackfoot all right culture let's get into Greeley Colorado's two telling one is one oh two nine ESPN radio uh Northern Colorado uh, has let Ernest Collins go five years, six years for Ernest Collins uh, at Northern Colorado, which was his alma mater. Um, They had a couple of good seasons, but largely not. And certainly this year, uh, another bad year uh, for Ernest Collins in Northern Colorado. He is out and uh, well, don't look now, but there are some names swirling uh, that will be familiar about possible head coaching gigs at Northern Colorado. We don't know, know any of that, but, Bob Stitt, certainly somebody who's on that radar, a guy who uh, has obviously conference familiarity and also success within the state of Colorado, having been at Mines, which is not that far away uh, from Greeley. Obviously, there's plenty of others uh, that are uh, on the list as well, but for right now, vacated seat in uh, in Greeley, Colorado.
0: Th- The analysis of the Ernest Collins Jr. era in Northern Colorado also has to include expectations and also resources because Ernest Collins Jr. on one hand was more than 50 games under five hundred by the time he got fired. That's not even a possibility in today's college football. Mm -hmm. There's no way that anybody would be allowed to stay around long enough to be 50-plus games under five hundred. That said... The resources the resource situation at Northern Colorado is such that when he had back to back winning seasons, the first two back-to-back winning seasons in the history of Northern Colorado as Division One members. Right. They gave him a five-year contract extension. And when a guy has a second straight winning season at a place where you've never done it before, I mean, you gotta remember Northern Colorado lost forty plus big sky conference games to start the Big Sky Conference era. When Montana State lost down there to give them their first Big Sky Conference win more than t- about a decade ago, it was like a cataclysmic event. Yeah. So to win any games, they went 4-4 and in league one year. That is a gigantic step up. And so they gave him a contract extension. Well, then they didn't win more than two games in any of the subsequent years. And now they finally reached the second to last year of the contract. And they finally have the money to buy him out. But that was the case is the fact that he signed the contract extension. They went back to being really bad. And they still couldn't get rid of him. Right. And it's not as if uh, get rid is the wrong word. Because Ernest Collins Jr. is an alum at Northern Colorado. He did the best he could. But here's the, the situation in Northern Colorado. Which is this is why actually why Bob Stitt is an intriguing hire because Bob Stitt, if you believe any of the good parts about Bob Stitt, which I know that's hard for people around here to believe any of the good parts about Bob Stitt, but you, the one thing you could give him credit for is the fact that at a school with tough academic standards, very limited resources, Colorado School of Mines, he was very competitive. He ran a very competitive program. Colorado's Colorado now the academic prowess of Colorado Mines, though, and the fact of the matter is that when they moved up to Division I, they joined the Big State Conference in their Division I in name alone. They do not have Division I facilities. They do not have Division I resources. They are now, with North Dakota out of the league, largely becoming a div- an outpost of the league. Their men's and women's basketball teams have been competitive lately, and their women's soccer team has been competitive lately which gives them an argument to somehow be able to maintain legitimacy as a Division One school. But when you look at just football, they're not D1.
1: You know, here's something that I don't really understand, Colton. We should get somebody in here who knows more about this stuff than I do, and which is easy. Uh, but Denver, I mean, there is... A, the Denver Bronco fan base that is in Denver and Colorado, I mean nationwide, but especially yeah. in that city, I mean... It it mile high is a huge stadium and it is sold out so so many years in advance like you can't even imagine people love love the Denver Broncos and love football in the state of Colorado totally but both Boulder and Colorado State and a, and also the high school programs in what is a major metropolis area especially especially I mean it by is by Western standards by Western standard game standards take, yeah. There really isn't the the hotbed of recruits. I mean, there's. Don't get me wrong. There's no, some high really great and, players from Colorado. No high but,
0: sports in Colorado are not good. Period. Like the four, the, the five, and six A players of the year in the state every year are going to mid major schools. The best, like Northern Colorado men's basketball, has the last three Colorado player of the year. Right from
1: from the state of Colorado, the, best, the highest, the best sport of the state of Colorado, the high school level, lacrosse mm, exploded in Colorado. In fact, Denver was the first team west of the Mississippi to ever win a lacrosse national championship, NCAA Division I lacrosse national championship. Right. And maybe, I don't know if that's part of it, and maybe they're well, the example of the trend away from football, but it's it's odd, isn't it?
0: Well, it's short-sighted, I think, maybe for us to say, like what I just said maybe is a, a blanket statement that's a little bit short-sighted. I said that high school sports in Colorado are not good. What I meant was that football and men's basketball are not good. Yes. I think that that's, I think that there's a real, that's that's weird. It's not though. I think that there's a definitive attachment between attachment and detachment between affluency and being elite at highly competitive and or violence-based sports. In other words, disadvantaged backgrounds is better for football. Mm -hmm. I, I guarantee you, I bet you that all, I bet you Denver and that whole metropolitan area produces amazing women's soccer players, awesome volleyball players. Right sweet baseball players, the sports that cost money, that a fluency is equals success. I mean, I would love to see a study, but how many dudes that are in the NFL or the NBA grew up in upper middle class families compared yeah. to the opposite? Cause I really do. I think that there's a distinct connection between desperation and and being able to rise to the top in certain sports, but in other sports, you really
1: do have to have the resources. Well, it's, it's so funny too because how often have we seen? You you talk about this all the time, and, and you're starting to say but the quarterbacks and and the the you know Western Washington skyline four a five a quarterbacks who are four and five star recruits that are going to every quarterback camp under the sun and the the California schools and everything, and can be. Can be really, really talented, but maybe I mean whether it's a leadership thing, whether it's I, I don't know, man. But but it just it doesn't it doesn't happen. The same. and look, man, quarterback is such unique. How many great quarterbacks are there alive today? I don't know a dozen. So I don't know if there's that really. You can't really start to tie this stuff to too much outside of this individual has has a gift that the rest of us just don't have. I mean. From Lamar Jackson to Tom Brady, you couldn't have two more different people, backgrounds, player types, anything, True. and they're both the best of the best. True. And so, you know, it's it's uh, you know that's that's probably not a great example or metaphor for whatever, but it it is it is an interesting thing. Yeah, they probably got great soccer in Colorado, great lacrosse. The, the other thing, and this is a great
0: point from David. He just sent this over on the messenger. I think one thing we're seeing culturally across all sports and across everywhere in the country is that if you are not a star player or someone that is doing it to potentially go to college, like the, just the concept of being on a team is just not that cool to kids anymore. The the, the the sense of belonging and the camaraderie and all that stuff. Like if you're just going to be the ninth man on a varsity basketball team that's not a good varsity basketball team, maybe you just don't do it. And then in Colorado, think about all the stuff there is to do. Right. Like, you know, if you just get cut from the freshman team when you're in hoops, why would you ever try to go back and make the JV team and say, well, I'm just going to go skiing. Right. I'm just going to go whitewater rafting. I'm going to go do all the cool stuff that Colorado has. And it's so accessible too. So maybe that's a, a factor as well. But I, I don't know. I've always thought... um I've always thought that because it, it, it's all the way downhill, right? The Broncos this year are bad, but, but that's a. Uh, the Broncos have been a great
1: f- franchise forever. Jeremy Bloom, that's what, yeah, yeah. You remember Jeremy yeah, Bloom? Oh, absolutely. Kick returner, one of the all to- uh, outstanding, like all American guy. Went totally to co- went to played for the Eagles. Yep. But is also an Olympic mogul skier. Got well. Couldn't fo- didn't focus it, in on it. It, and it also it also comes to, much of anything it in also, the football it, world. it
0: also comes down to the Mike Kramer philosophy. And Mike Kramer talked to me about this forever. It, not only just the disenfranchised nature of how that can motivate you to want to be way more aggressive and and pour your heart and soul into a sport that is, by and large, not very fun when it mm-hmm. comes to practice and very arduous, very difficult, and very dangerous. Not only coming from disadvantaged backgrounds, but also, it, it's, the, it's the Mike Kramer in relation to why is Arizona State not good at a lot of things? Why is Colorado and Colorado State very mediocre? It's because... So stuff it's going not on. the only thing that's going on. Yeah, you're going go to go the best party in the country if you win or lose in Tempe. You're going to have the prettiest girl if you're the starting quarterback at Arizona State. You got yourself a pretty girlfriend, even if you go 0 and 11 and throw three picks a game. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter, right? The, the The quality of life is still going to be so good, and maybe this is the same factors. I mean, but it is bizarre. Like why, as Colorado. I mean, Boulder, it couldn't be a cooler town. right? I mean, Boulder's
1: awesome. Mm-hmm. And they suck at sports. Like well, the, the, I the, mean... Basketball's gotten a little bit better. Yeah. They, they had a... I mean, they there was also, like, the gap where when they went to the Pac-12 it was going to take time for them to catch up and then they caught up and then they were really good f- for a minute top you know nationally ranked and they were even what was it 1989 or something that they were a national champion who, who are you talking the Colorado Buffaloes oh, football sure. team I mean as as recently
0: but, as the early 2000s when they were going head to head with Nebraska year after year for the Big 12 title I mean they were competitive mm-hmm. When Ty Gregorak, who's been on this show many times was playing
1: there they were really good and in like three or four years ago, with was it McIntyre? They they had one season where they were outstanding. Mm-hmm. They were nationally ranked. And they when were, they had that
0: sweet quarterback, yep, yep.
1: The, the Polynesian But uh nonetheless, uh, it it hasn't hasn't been there as a as a matter of consistency. Uh, certainly there. Well, we'll see what happens at uh, Northern Colorado, uh, and uh, they have an uphill battle to fight in all of those respects.
0: The last point I will make on this is that. When Portland State came open, when Nigel Burton was fired, or when Sac State came open, when Marshall Spurbeck and then Jody Sears was fired, when NAU came open, when Jerome Sowers retired, when um, even when Idaho State came open, when Mike Kramer retired, I thought to myself, man, if they hire the right guy, that could be a a pretty interesting job. I I thought that about Sac State and Portland State specifically. Well, Portland State did hire the right guy, and he's in the middle of a rebuild right now, but they went to the playoffs his very first year for the second time in school history with Bruce Barnum. Look at Sac State. Take the same group of dudes who did not win a league game last year and give them a new coaching staff, and they won the league because of the potential of the job. Right? NAU dumpster fire right now, but I think that Chris Ball will probably get it rolling just because there's some stuff to recruit to at NAU. It's a huge school. It's a great town, blah, 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 blah. What I would say is that Northern Colorado is absolutely unquestionably the worst job in the league, and I don't think there's a guy that you could hire to make it into a good job, period. Mm -hmm. And it has nothing to do with anything besides the fact that they just don't have money. They don't pour—you do not have the ability to recruit on the same level as the other teams in your league, period. And it's not like in Montana where you're going to get 10 to 15 stud players that you could give half rides that cost— $3,000 $3,000 on in-state tuition in Montana. I don't know what tuition yeah. is in Montana, but it is cheap, cheap compared to UC Davis and Cal Poly. No doubt. You don't have that in Northern Colorado. You, don't have, you have none of the advantages. None. You don't have an academic prowess to sell. You don't have
1: tradition to sell. You don't have, you have nothing to mm-hmm. sell. Mm-hmm. It's not close to the worst job in the league. of two 102.9 ESPN Radio. On the other side. How about the teams that were good this year that still have their coaches in place? They're going to the playoffs. We'll talk about them and the playoff draws. Right after this, Coulter, it's Thanksgiving in two days. Family coming into town. Uh, Maybe you need just extra space. You got too many people coming around. Maybe you got, well, look. We're not going to question your motives. You need a hotel room, okay? You go send them out to the Win, uh, Wingate by Wyndham Hotel. It's a great spot. It's close to the airport, so it's convenient that way. They got a great pool, a water slide even, full breakfast, and it's easy to get to.
0: And it's right by the freeway, So You That's can right. access any part of Missoula, so no matter where you're going. That's an interesting idea. If I was in the situation, I'd go to the Wingate by Wyndham. Because say say you got a packed house and I'm going to be the one that's sleeping on the couch, i just going to sneak out the back door, go get myself a little room with the Wingate by Wyndham, be back in the morning, cook everybody breakfast, nobody even knows I was gone. Perfect. Beautiful beds, great rooms, but the breakfast, that's the kicker, too. If you don't want to cook the fan breakfast, you can even go get some breakfast there, too, mm, if you're a guest. Perfect. But the uh, parking, ample and free for guests. The service, second to none. They have a great business center if you need to get some work done over the holiday weekend or if you've got some friends and family coming in for the playoff games coming up in Missoula. Send them to, get, send them to the Wingate by Wyndham and let the Wingate by Wyndham make you feel at home even when you're not. You know, guests, the Wingate by Wyndham is the Missoula hotel that truly offers something for everybody.
1: No doubt. It's conveniently located near the airport, easy for when your friends come to visit you. And you know, of course, my favorite, water slides. That's right. They got an
0: awesome water park with a sweet water slide that's perfect for families, groups, and birthday parties. With the Wingate, they also have a terrific business travel rate, large meeting spaces for you and your clients, and one of the best rewards programs you'll find anywhere.
1: Talk to me about breakfast. They're not messing around with the Continental. They got the full breakfast spread, man. That's what I'm talking about. I need that.
0: They got you covered there as well. Just down the road from the Missoula Airport, the location is quiet and convenient. The parking is ample and free, and the staff genuinely cares about taking care of their guests.
1: The Wingate is at 5252 Airway Boulevard. You can also call, very simple, easily memorizable number, 541-8000. That's 541-8000, the best hotel at the best spot for a hotel near the airport.
0: Let the Wingate by Wyndham in Missoula make you feel at home, even when you're not.
1: ESPN Missoula Sports Center. The high school football season came to a close this weekend and five Montana schools can claim state championships. Hi, Ryan Tutel, Colton Nguanis. Here's some sports news for you. In an over- cl- overflow capacity, the Ranchi Stadium in Butte Friday night, the Bulldogs battled the Bozeman Hawks to a 14-14 tie at the break, but the visitors used a bruising running game in the second half to outscore their opponents 35-14 and rolled to a 49-28 win for the Class AA state title. Bozeman senior and Grizz commit Asher Croy rushed for 333 yards on 33 carries and three touchdowns in the victory.
0: In Class A, Miles City beat Hamilton and Laurel took down Dillon in the state semifinals. Finals to set up an all-eastern final. And in their first home state championship game since 1995, Miles City finished off the season on top, forcing four Laurel turnovers and cruising to a 35-7 win. The Cowboys now have a record Class A-10 state titles.
1: In Class B, Manhattan took down favored Fairfield in the semis to earn the right to host, but couldn't hold off uh, Eureka, who won 20-6. Hank Dunn scored all three touchdowns for the Lions as Eureka won its third state championship of the last four seasons.
0: Fairview had 12 seniors on its Class C eight-man roster and used that depth to earn the first state title in school history, dismantling Clark Forks 70-6. And in six-man, Jordan finished on top, dominating Weibo 70-14.
1: A look at some of the matchups in the FCS postseason broadly. And what we think might happen, could happen. Where's a potential upset on the list? It's CCL New One two 1029 ESPN Radio. SWX Montana Television, outstanding to be with you on this Tuesday afternoon. Hope you're having a great day. We are broadcasting live from the Kurtz Polaris studios. Kurtz Polaris is at 2904 West Broadway in Missoula Highway 83 in Seeley. Saturday, December 7th is Kurtz's 7th annual snow day. One day only, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at Kurtz Polaris. Go in there, save a, a bunch of money, and get everybody on your Christmas list happy at Kurtz Polaris. If you uh, would like to listen live... You can go to our website, 1029ESPN.com, listen on the stream. The stream available all the time, and it is there thanks to Opportunity Bank, your local bank, your opportunity. Uh, We are available on social media, people. Tweeting and Instagramming and doing all various other things, podcasting and whatnot, at tell that's me, at 1029 ESPN, the station, on Twitter and Instagram, and at Skyline Sports MT for your up to the moment. Big Sky Conference news, particularly when it with regards to Montana and Montana State. Here in my hand, I am holding the uh, Division One FCS playoff bracket. Notably not an FBS playoff bracket, because there is no such thing. So Uh, That's your best argument, by the way, for Bulls being irrelevant. It's not that there's Bulls, but that there isn't a playoff. Um, So here we go. Coulter, you tell me right now. uh, We got the the eight-seeded teams, and again, from one through eight, it's North Dakota, uh, one, James Madison, two. Weber State three, Sacramento State four, Montana State five, Montana six, South Dakota State who had a who who destroyed Northern Iowa in the first er, two weeks ago, and then lost shockingly to South Dakota uh, last week to finish on, a, on a, a, a a note where they thought they weren't even going to get a seed. South Dakota State, where they were playing a backup quarterback on the whole thing, they end up there at the seventh seed e- e- despite the loss, and then Central Arkansas rounds out the top eight, which I think was a surprise to a lot of teams, but Colter. When you look, look, the first-round matchups have fun, people. Go enjoy them, check them out, see the teams that you're interested in. Obviously, for Montana State, Albany versus Central, Connecticut State is the big one because that's uh, who will be headed to, Bozeman, the winner of that game. And then for uh, the Grizzlies, southeastern Louisiana versus Villanova. But when you're looking at this thing, Colter, and you're thinking about teams that might be able to knock off a team that's a seeded team in the second round, where do you go? Because for me, I think I start... With Northern Iowa, South Dakota State. South Dakota State has been at its best, the, one of the three best teams in the country. I mean, they played basically even with North Dakota State. They then lose their quarterback, and they got they but but they and they blew out Northern Iowa two weeks ago. But then they lose to South Dakota, and so they're on a little bit of a roller coaster. And sometimes teams that have lost and lost handily, like Northern Iowa did. Mm, if you get a turnaround and play that team right away, it actually can be a good thing uh, to be able to do. So I, I if, if if Northern Iowa beats San Diego, which I think they will uh, at home, a Northern Iowa Jackrabbit matchup in the second round, I could see the unseeded Northern Iowa Panthers getting past SDSU in that football game, despite the fact that they lost by five touchdowns almost the first time around. Yeah,
0: I was thinking about this earlier this morning. The fact that there's eight seeds now you hear seed you hear first round by you think elite and certainly you're you're right there if you're in the top eight teams in the country for sure but i think that then it demeans the fact that a lot of times the rankings aren't used for the other teams and a lot of times so for example let's say villanova beats southeastern louisiana yep that that's going to be according to the stats fcs pool going to be number six at Number eight at number six, so you're basically playing one of the other eight best teams in the country right. in your very first
1: playoff. Game. Central Arkansas, by the way, ranked ninth in the stats poll, so they're right there as well as the, but but the difference between having a seat and not is significant. But right because of the way the the uh, the bidding happens, it's not like it's seated one through twenty four. You know, you got your exactly. top eight seeds and then everybody else is up against it. So you could be playing the quote 23rd best team in the country as easily as you could be playing the 10th best team in the country, according to the season. then it's all about the matchup. Totally. Anyway.
0: So as far as first round or second round upsets, it's so hard because we don't know who any of these teams are going to play. You presume Northern Iowa is going to beat San Diego. And by
1: the way, stats, FCS has Northern Iowa sixth, sixth Exa- in the exactly. nation. And they're, they're not even the getting the country at
0: Northern Iowa sixth, Yeah. South Dakota State's 38-7 win over Northern Iowa is why South Dakota State's got the 7th seed. Mm -hmm. But first of all, in terms of the Missouri Valley teams, South Dakota State and Illinois State both lost their quarterbacks late in the season. I think that's also why they both lost their last games of the season. Can you bounce back for that or not? Illinois State is one of the best pass rushing teams in the country. I think that the winner of the SEMO-Illinois State game... You would presume that would be the one that has the best chance because they're going to be playing the lowest of the seeded teams in Central Arkansas, and I so I would I say that the winner of Southeast Missouri State, Illinois State, I think either of those teams could beat Central Arkansas. I not only think they could, I think they will. The on the bottom side of the bracket, Austin P has been this. Very anomalous team to me because they've risen out of nowhere. They were a completely irrelevant team on the FCS landscape forever. I never even thought of them as an FCS team, but they have been quite good. They got snubbed from the playoffs last year. Now they're into the playoffs. See what their level of motivation is. That said, Sac State, when they're at full strength, their offense is so precise and so hard to deal with. But the other one that could be interesting is uh, you got Wofford versus Kennesaw State. First of all, that game might take two hours. (laughs) A right. couple, couple option of triple options versus teams. triple option. Yep. Yep. And then you look at the matchup with Weaver State. On one hand, Jay Hill and his teams have been as good against the option as anybody. They've had unbelievable plans. They've smashed Cal Poly. They've actually played Cal Poly in non-conference games uh, two of the last three years because Jay Hill kind of takes the, the uh, page out of Bobby Hawk's book. I want to play the triple option team early. If we're not going to play them on our schedule anyways, it's a good non-conference game with a conference team relatively easy travel, but also good for cultivation of toughness. On the other hand, though, a triple option team can beat anybody on any day if they operate correctly. Mm -hmm. We saw Wofford come in here and beat it. I mean, there's all the talk about the 08 and 09 Grizz teams that both went undefeated all the way to the national championship and then fell short by losing in the national championship. Excuse me. The 08 Grizz lost one other game before that, but regardless, those teams won almost every game on their schedule until the national championship. Make no mistake, the 2017 loss to Wofford might be the most talented Grizz team of all time because it was the crossover, the last couple Joe Glenn players, the, plus the full flush of Bobby Halk recruits that were starting to come of age. And like That secondary, every single one of those dudes went to the league. We I mean, had yeah, Croy Bierman on, that, on the front line, you had all sorts of stud linebackers. I mean, Lex Hillary, Chase Reynolds, and Justin Green were all on the team. Mm-hmm. That uh, Most Grizz guys that I know would tell you that was actually the most talented team and the most heartbreaking loss when they lost to Walker. But that shows you what the triple option
1: could do to you. So that could be one that's an upset special as well. In terms of first-round game that I'm just interested in because of who's playing it, Nichols State in North Dakota. Now, the winner of this game has to go to Fargo to play North Dakota State, so probably your season ends there. But... Uh, Nickel State, number 18 team in the nation, uh, or 19, excuse me, uh, according to stats. And North Dakota, because North Dakota is a team that we've seen a little bit now since they did play a full Big Sky Conference schedule. They are the de facto fifth Big Sky Conference team that is in, even though they are an independent uh, that is playing in this thing. They both have four losses. NDSU, or North Dakota, excuse me, is 7-4 and four because they didn't play a 12th game. They chose to uh, just have an open date. And then Nickel State was 8-4. and four. We've talked about how strong the Big Sky Conference is. North Dakota, even though they're an independent, got in playing the Big Sky Conference teams. What do you think about this matchup? Because Nickel State is pretty good as well. This game's a pick em right now. But w- what do you think about that game in the first round?
0: I mean, it's just what I to think of all the other games. If you're not from the Big Sky or the Missouri Valley, I don't think you're going to win. So you got North Dakota. But I got North Dakota. Okay. Well... I just think that the Big Sky and Missouri Valley teams are just straight up better than everybody else with the exception of James Madison Villanova. That's it. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, mean, look, really. Look, a- really. Like I think the Southland is a fine conference. I think that Portland State would be in the mix to win the Southland. I mean, I, I think th- North Dakota
1: would win the Southland outright. To tell one 1029 ESPN Radio. Dolter quick question here. Maybe not that quick, if Montana were to lose their first uh, playoff game in two, mm-hmm. in a week and a half, mm-hmm. now, obviously people would have made all the connections between you know what happened on Saturday and Bozeman and everything else. what do you think what do you think that would mean for this program and for Bobby howe
0: Man, I think it would be massively disappointing, but I also think that, <laughs> you're going to think this is crazy that I say this, but I I don't think that it would
1: necessarily be a bad thing. Now, see, I do think you're crazy. What what I think you could say, and I would get behind, is it might not. It could be it,
0: an ins- it could be insane motivating it, factor, especially because nec- they don't
1: lose that much. It wouldn't necessarily knock them out. Or, or Like, it wouldn't derail the program. It would not be good for them, though. It would not be good for them, but here's what I would say. The Grizz will be
0: better early. Eh, I don't know. I don't know. Because if they got hot and really started believing in themselves and they could carry that momentum in the offseason, that would be huge, too. But I do think that sometimes when you fall short, especially when it's not quite your time yet, I don't think it's quite the Grizz time, I do I do think this Montana team, I, I think they have a, a, de, a decent shot of... Go to the the quarters. Yeah. Or even the semis. Yeah. Or even the national championship. I mean, if they they truly ripped it all the way to the national title game, it wouldn't totally floor me. But I think it's probably more likely the other side of the coin— but I just think that they could, they could. Uh, it, it could be a huge motivating factor, especially for the guys that play the really physical positions.
1: I do think, you said they don't lose that much, and in terms of numbers, they don't. But in terms of dudes, they do. And I mean, you're talking about Dalton Snead and Dante Olsen. I actually think that Dante Olsen is not replaceable as the player, but the position and productivity there is, especially when you have Jace Lewis, who's already proven what he could be. Cam Humphrey, if given a full year and, and and preparation and everything like that, I think it, it can be an, and would be a good uh, Big Sky Conference quarterback. I just don't think he's going to be Dalton Sneed. And also, and I, also yeah, don't I under- think,
0: And I also don't think that they're— I would you not even give it a fifty percent likelihood that he's, that he's the be guy the quarterback. Okay, and I think he's going to have to endure a super competitive competition with the junior college transfer that they're bringing in, Chris, Chris Brown. Brown mm-hmm. Garrett Graves will be in the mix. Even if he continues to serve quarterback, he will be in the mix until they finally decide to move in positions, or he'll be the quarterback. One of the two scenarios will
1: play out. Well, let's put it like this. Almost certainly the position is going to look very different, and therefore the offense. And that might be a good, you know, you could still be hugely productive. If you, I mean, if you got somebody who you think is better than Cam Newton or at least can do the things that you want <laughs> Cam to. Cam Humphrey. Yeah, Cam Humphrey. Thanks. I think you. Cam Newton would be pretty good at Montana. Well, I don't know. I mean, bad foot's a bad foot. Uh, but if you... Uh, you know, if you find somebody who who does more of what you think you want to do, and I don't even know what that is, uh, I don't even know if the coaches know what that is necessarily at this point. I mean, it's still this year now, um, replacing though that what Dalton State has been and can do, which is pretty much everything uh, when healthy, uh, is going to be is going to be a major loss for this team when he when he graduates, and uh, and and that to me says that look, you can never get the 2019 playoffs over again okay so as far as you can go right here right now obviously you want to you need to but i also think there's a real reason to think that this team is you said they haven't quite arrived maybe not but they have arrived in a lot of ways and they have they have the players to be really good right here and right now and they're Probably going to have some really good players. In fact, certainly going to have some great players over the next couple of years in spots. But you have to have the confluence come together right in order for that to happen. And to lose this game now and to have that be the end of this season and the end of a little bit of this era, of the introductory era of Bobby Houck, I think is is damaging, man. I, I really do. And yet, you got a guy who knows the program, knows the state, and and is going to continue to to build and or rebuild, but I just I, I I don't know in the cycle of this thing or if there is a cycle of this thing. I think this is, I, I think that game Saturday is a is a big one.
0: Okay, Montana, Montana does have some some huge advantages in personnel right now, and they mm-hmm. also have gigantic deficiencies, and that's gonna be the thing that's changed. Like, are you going to get somebody as good as Dalton Sneed, Dante Olsen, or Sammy Kim again? Maybe not. But you also won't have a bunch of... Montana is...
1: You're going to be much better up front both directions.
0: Montana's honestly bad at certain positions, man. Mm -hmm. Like, I think Justin Calhoun has a great story. He's not good. Well, he's... he's very competitive. Yeah. He's a 79 at corner. It's unfortunate because he's probably a 91 at a receiver.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And the fact that he can play receiver and corner at the D1 level before your starter, all the props in the world of the kid. He's he's just... Him versus any starting X or Z receiver in the league is a disadvantage for Montana, and Montana will not be in that position. Montana used to have dudes like Tremaine Johnson. Think about the difference between those two guys. And I'm not dogging on Justin Calhoun. I'm just saying, I just don't think you can make a deep playoff run unless you've got a couple 90s
1: playing corner. Tonight and tomorrow, so we're going to do the the the, uh, the podcast regarding the eight seeded teams with the buys tonight with a bunch of experts. In fact, we have an expert for every single team in the field on the podcast. Pretty cool. <sighs> And then uh, tomorrow, uh, the uh, opening round games, those 16 teams, we will have analysis of at least one, if not both, teams involved in every game uh, with the lines that are there. So that's uh, been, been a fun uh, thing to, to do. I think people have been enjoying it. looks like uh, it's going pretty well. And uh, so shout-out to David Graff, making it happen, uh, well, every day around here. Speaking of shout-outs, Colter Lauren Hagen. Unbelievable track athlete, specifically a triple jumper, but you know everything. Uh, it's nice to be able to call your shot on where you got it, where you want to go. And she had offers uh, to go to the track teams at Stanford, Notre Dame, and the University of Washington. At least that's what she had narrowed it down to. She had many, many more offers than that, but she those were the three finalists. A pretty good list, I would think, to pick from. Uh, and today made her uh, uh, official commitment to the University of Washington Huskies in Seattle. I think that this has to do with not wanting to change over her whole wardrobe, right? You got the sentinel golden purple. You just keep it right on going, turn the S to a W and you're off and running. You can keep all the clothes that you got. You know what I mean? That's a nice making feature of going to a school with the same with the same color scheme of your high school. In any case though, uh, congratulations to Lauren Hagan. That, that is awesome. Uh, all three of those schools, uh, premier academic sc- institutions, and outstanding track schools as well. Uh, and uh, you've said it before, track and field actually is probably the sport across the state of Montana that has produced the, the highest level of athletes, talking about going on to uh, you know top-tier Division I uh, institutions to, to participate in their athletics you know, uh, uh, sport than any other in the state of Montana. And Lauren Hagen today is her day as she has the University of Washington.
0: She'll be competitive right away. I mean, a 41, 42-foot triple jumper, she will be scoring points likely in meets. uh, She'll certainly be scoring points in meets and perhaps even competing for All-Pac 12 right away, right right out the gates. If she can continue, especially if she gets better. I mean, she's already broke and rebroken the All-Class triple jump record Mm -hmm. multiple times. At, At the state meets and everything, not just at other meets. She is the official... On the record, yes. Official... Two times over. So I mean, it, again, tri- forty-two foot triple jump is monstrous. I mean, if she can continue to replicate that and if she improves, you're talking about truly a national championship caliber triple jumper. I mean, she she's that good of an athlete, and it, it's cool because
1: what it, what's what's what 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 is like U.S. national team. Uh, you know, triple jumping. You know, I'm not talking about like world records and stuff like that. But if you're, if you're talking about being on a, a you know, a, a, a national team, a World Cup type of team, what is the women, you know, a women's mark that you need to hit? I'm looking it up here. Just right? <laughs> bear with me. Okay. I will bear 45 with 45 feet
0: is, is sort of the, every, is this this is outdoor triple jump championships? Yep. So every every year since 2003, between 45 feet eight inches
1: and 46 feet one inch has been the national championship. It's remarkable, man. You're talking about going 45, 46 feet, and the window is five inches. I mean, that is how, first of all, dialed in you get where like you know to the inch, like how far you got to get. And, and, Pushing it to that razor edge. I mean, the fact that you're not talking about, well, this year, I don't know, it was windy, it was cold, 42 and a half feet. Okay, this year, it was at elevation.
2: Whether you're traveling to Missoula for business, a family visit, or to watch the Grizz game, the Wingate wants to be your home away from home. Call the Wingate to find out how we can take care of your next trip to Missoula. From conference rooms to great complimentary breakfast to an indoor water park, We have what you need and what you want when traveling. The Wingate of Missoula is a proud supporter of Grizzly and Lady Grizz athletics, and we look forward to making you feel at home when you're not.